a huge fan of what Block is doing in Price Hill and for youth and children, especially in, in neighborhoods, uh, with their after-school program. So each week I, I go with a team that works with me, and we volunteer within the after-school program. And on this particular day, I was already a little full of angst because the director of the after-school program and I meet before the program starts to talk through how my organization back-to-back can can help nurture them more or help resource them more. And I always bring up in that discussion, if we're ever pushing you in a direction that doesn't match your vision, please tell us because that's the last thing we want to do. And I always say this because Block is built on the idea that the men and women who work there are going to live on the block in the neighborhood. And my team that volunteers for them, none of us live on the block. We travel in and help deepen resources and provide relationships, but we, we don't have houses in the same neighborhood. And if at some point that flies against the vision, I want to know about it. And it was the first time in about eight months that I brought that question up, and there was a pause after asking the question. Prior to that, it had always been, no, 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 no. We would never say no to, to resources. But in that moment, I heard a, yeah, I'll let you know if it ever does. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're in that space. We're in that space of tension of saying, at what point does help damage? At what point does someone coming from the outside not make sense in order for us to answer the problem from the inside? And we were having that conversation as leaders saying, what, what's the right balance of the resources that we're bringing being right and bringing hope and the neighborhood keeping its identity and its DNA for what it was supposed to be. And I love the challenge and I love the tension and I love the conversation, but I don't ever want to be the reason that it's not going the direction that it's supposed to go. So I was already feeling this pressure when the director of the after-school program, Ryan, brings a boy from the neighborhood up to me and he introduces him and he says, hey, Chris, this is Keontae and Keontae has some questions for you. And I was like, questions for me? He's never met me. Why does he have questions for me, Ryan? And he's like, well, he's really into social justice. He's into neighborhoods. He's wondering what we're doing here. So I thought you could answer it for, you, for him. And I'm like, you're the director of Block. You should answer. And I saw the smirk on his face. And I thought, okay, you're setting me up because Keontae's already asked you these questions, you want to know what I would say, because that really is going to influence what our partnership looks like. And so Keontae looks at me and says, why are you here? And I say, you're a very bold eighth grader. What do you want to know really? And he said, well, why are you here? Why is Block here? And I look at Ryan, and Ryan begins to smile, and he had sent Keontae to me because Ryan interpreted me as part of Block. And I'm like, I see where you're, like, you're answering my earlier question by saying, I see you as part of us because this is where you help talk to Keontae about his purpose. So I said, what are you asking? And he said, well, why are you on this corner? Because I don't know if you recognize, but they're selling weed right there. And I'm like, really? News to me. You can't smell it every 30 seconds. Because it's a very interesting spot of how you communicate what's on sale at the store. And it is aroma filled. And there are deals happening. And I said, yeah, we know. It's right, like right there at the corner store. And he's like, yeah, but you could have picked any block in Price Hill. Why are you 
bringing kids to the one with all the drug dealers? Why do you have this corner? It's a great question. Why are we on this corner? Why is Echo here in physical space? Why is Crossroads in Oakley? Why is your house in your neighborhood? Why am I still in Mason in a house I don't love? Why are we where we are physically? Why do we live where we live? Why do we roam where we roam? Why why do we go on mission trips where we go on mission trips? And why do we settle in and deepen roots where we deepen roots? That's really the question Keontae is asking me is like, why did you decide this spot? And I looked at him and thought, that's a great question. I'm still figuring it out. I'm not sure that I belong here on this corner, but I don't want to tell you that. It's what I've been wrestling with through this whole Jesus and series is why are we where we are? Why are we who we are? And what does Jesus have to say about all of that? And so this morning, we're going to dive into Keontae's question of why. Why are we here in this space? And we're calling this one Jesus and locale. Why locale? Because it's cooler than like location. That's really kind of what the teaching team decided while we were in a room together. We're like, city, overused, location, weird. I had just driven past the pizzeria locale, so I'm like, locale, which is now closed. Like that pizzeria locale is no longer a locale. It is just an empty building. And I thought, what does that word mean? And so I looked the word up, and it means this, a place or locality, especially when viewed in relation to a particular event or characteristic. So a locale is different than just a physical pin drop location. A locale is a space that's defined by an event or a special characteristic around that event. So pizzeria locale is like, this is the place where you get the pizzeria. And if you look at their definition of who they are on their website, it's where you can get Italian-style pizza with a Chipotle-branded company. That's kind of what they tell you. And they're closed. I don't know if you remember particular events and where you were when those events happened. I have a lot of those. First concert, Foo Fighters, Bogarts. I can remember what it smelled like. I can remember what I had to tell my parents that I was going to another location in order to land there. I can remember that my uncle locked my keys in my car because somehow he talked us into driving my car. And in the back of Sudsy Malone's, we're letting a kid break into our car to get my keys out and paying him $20 before we went to the concert. I will always remember Sudsy Malone's and Bogart's as the place where it happened, my first concert and my first fear that my dad was going to beat me because I had locked his car in Cincinnati and he didn't know I was in Cincinnati. He thought I was still in Kentucky. Good times. A couple of weeks ago, we traveled to Chicago to fix a passport. As soon as we got to Chicago, I was overwhelmed by the memory of this being the first weekend that my wife and I had spent together on a date. Like we had gone to Chicago to watch a soccer game. I'm like, oh, this is like, it's a, it's a split. It's a, a place that has a significant meaning. You probably have some of those. And they can be good, they can be bad, they can be moments that you just got news. First job, graduation, moments where you experienced the first professional win for a sports team in 28 years for your city, right? Like you were there last night as FC Cincinnati won. A Cincinnati sports team won in the playoffs. 
Jesus will be here later today to take us all home because that usually doesn't happen. Like it wasn't like we didn't lose and it wasn't Pittsburgh's fault. Like it's awesome to live in Cincinnati. But a locale is a space and an event. And I was looking at Jesus' story and seeing there were a lot of different places that he did amazing things that were defining moments for the people that he was with. But at the same time, he was the one who said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have property that I've purchased. I didn't buy a building and put my name on it. I am the God whose name is on all of it. Like I, I just am everywhere. So what does this God who says all the places matter to me say about places and how they matter to us and what we should do in them? And how does he answer the question of why we're there? If you have one of the Bibles in front of you, we'll be in Luke 8 for the next few minutes, just walking through a chapter where this author of this gospel frames for us a great picture of Jesus being in places and why he was there and how he speaks against the lies that we can believe about ourselves about some of the places that he was. In Luke chapter 8 verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Married, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. There's eight sermons just in that passage. But here's what I'll land it for us as we move into this one question that we're answering, is that this beginning of chapter 8, Luke is illustrating that God's grace travels from place to place, inviting us into his kingdom. It travels from place to place, inviting and ushering us into his kingdom, one, to the hurt and the oppressed, or you can say the possessed, depending on if you want to dance in that kind of dialogue a little bit, because it gets weird real fast in that space. To the outcast to the ones that are on the fringe or don't even know they're welcome in the kingdom at all. And he goes and travels and shares his grace to those who have been discriminated against. Luke is very intentional as to why he is listing the names of women in this space. Because there weren't just 12 men following Jesus around learning about what he was going to do for his kingdom. And the provisions for what Jesus was doing as he built this kingdom on earth were coming from women who were not viewed in society as having any value, yet they were putting all of their value in the kingdom and providing as this man who had no place to lay his head was ushering in this new story of grace and truth. Luke was sure to write down this space. Susanna is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But she's here in this space. Reminding us that those who are on the fringe, those who are discriminated against, those who are outcasts are welcome in to know the grace. And not only know the grace, but to be part of the story that Jesus is writing. And so he doesn't so much care what town you're from. He cares about what your story is and who has left you out of the story that's happening in that town. And he brings us in. Then he goes into this next season as he finishes verse 3, as Luke sets it up, he says that with this crowd around him of equality, Jesus then tells this story. 
And he dives in and says this story about a seed being planted, which we don't necessarily do so much unless you're aerating your lawn, which I tried to do, and it's a weird fall. It's probably not going to work. And I get this little seed spreader out thing in my yard, and as it flies, like you're watching grass seed go everywhere, and I'm looking at it going, it's actually falling on top of seed. It's going on my driveway. It's going in the street. It's hopefully going into the ground, and at some point it's going to rain, and there's going to be new grass in the fall or in the spring, that's what Jesus is starting this story. And he says, here is this story I want to tell you about planting seed to a community of equal people. He's saying, I want you to share open-handedly. This is his story. It says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And the question is, what does this have to do about where we live and where we're going? Jesus answers by saying, if you have ears, hear. If you don't, you'll be deaf. That's his response actually in the story is, if you have ears, listen. If you don't have any ears, you can't understand what I'm saying. And his disciples raise their hand and say, we cannot understand what you are saying. Please explain it. And he says, I'm going to tell stories so that even if you don't understand the meaning of the story, you'll remember the story. And one day later in your life, you're going to be walking down a street or you're going to have your own little seed spreader in your front yard. And you're going to go, oh, Jesus told a story about seeds. This is what he meant because I just wasted a whole bunch of grass seed on the road. Interesting. He says, I'll tell you stories so that when it comes time to live somewhere, you'll remember the story. And they're still obviously looking at him with this quizzical face because he then describes the story. They don't get it and they don't go, oh, we understand what you mean, we're good. They're looking at him and he says, well, let me tell you what it means. The seed is the word of God. You're going to scatter God's word and for some people, it's not going to work at all. It's not even going to land. For other people, They're going to want it. They're going to try, but there's not going to be enough moisture there for it to grow. And there are going to be some, though. There are going to be some, though, in just the right circumstances that the soil is right, the weather is right, the nourishment is right, and that is going to grow into a great faith. And what he's not saying is that some people that you live with are chosen and some aren't chosen. What he is saying is it's not on us to decide whether or not someone is ready for the word. It's just on us to share the word. We can't control the rain and the moisture for every seed that is planted. We can't control whether or not you want to drive away after. We can't control where you are or who you are in physical space, what we can do is share the word open-handedly, freely, with anyone and everyone because we were given a parable after a description of a community. We were given a parable of share this with everyone because women are present, because Gentiles are present, because Jews are present, because followers are present, because Sadducees and religious leaders who are opposing me are present. I share the word open-handedly and equally. So wherever you choose to live, Jesus is saying, wherever you choose to live or wherever you choose to travel, share it open-handedly wherever you are. Which leads me to ask myself the question, 
Do I share the gospel as open-handedly in my neighborhood as I do at Block? Do I share it as open-handedly in a staff meeting, in Walmart? I don't know if there's a place for the gospel there. But he says equally, I can't find anything in that place ever. Do I share it in a crowd at a sports game as equally as I do as my kitchen table with my children? Do I share the word of God as open-handedly with my daughter as I would a church that I teach? Are we sharing open-handedly is the question that Jesus is asking us because that determines why we are where we are. And then he goes into another story, or at least Luke guides him into this next thing. He says this narrative shifts from sharing seed into this idea of light. And this story of light is that listening carefully, when we listen carefully, others can enter in and see what's happening. This is the story of Halloween, right? Like, we're going to have children who are going to go into neighborhoods, and they will go to the houses with lights on to get candy. They will try to decide whether or not the houses with all of their lights off are offering any candy, or if they're just not home, and they put the candy on the stoop. But pretty soon, probably next week or two, we will have children and some adults ushering through neighborhoods, and we will look for houses of light to receive something from the house. Jesus says it this way. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. He ties light into listening, not into sharing and speaking. And we often confuse that. We often say, take the light to the world. But Jesus compares light as if it was a house that had the light on and that you were a listener knowing who needed to be welcomed in. And so the question that we have of based on where we live and where we play and where we work is, is the light on in your space and are you listening so that others can come in? Is there place for others around you in the light that you have? The, the negative question around it is, are there places in your life that you intentionally turn the light off because you do not want anyone to see what you are doing, experiencing, or thinking? Because if we are intentionally turning the light off, we cannot find a reason to be the light in a neighborhood. Instead, the neighborhood is snuffing the light out for us. Which helps us answer the question, Maybe I shouldn't live there. Maybe I shouldn't frequent there. Maybe that's not the community for me. Maybe that's not where I spend my resources. Maybe that's not what I watch at night. Maybe that's not what I listen to. Maybe that's not what I eat. Maybe that's not where I run. Maybe those aren't the voices that should be speaking into me because every time I'm with them, every time I consume that, every time that I'm around that space, the light goes off. Are we listening 
to the light to see where the word is present and where the word is being hidden. Because Jesus does not want us to live and set up our foundation in the place where we cannot turn the light on. So where do you live? Do you live in a place where you love flipping on the light and welcoming others in? Or in order to fake community, do you have to turn the light off and be something different than what God has called you to be? And Jesus continues to go, his, parent, his mom comes to see him again. We've talked about this in the series a couple times where Jesus' mom drops in and helps him with his narrative. She comes again, a real brief passage where she's like, hey, Jesus, remember me? Your mom brought you into this world. I often get texts and calls that are like that in my house. Um, my mom will, do you remember I birthed you into this world? I'm like, yes, I do remember you. I love you. Do you want to see your grandkids? And I feel that tension and his response is my family is anyone who's about this stuff with me and he responds in that then he gets on a boat and again we have another location that's offered in this storm where he says we're going to get in a boat and we're going to go across the lake and he takes it into a storm which is our third word which is to navigate faith through our circumstances not around them that Jesus then in this passage it says one day Jesus said to the disciples let us go over to the other side of the lake so they got into the boat and they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in a great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebu- rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm, and he responded and said, Where is your faith? Interesting narrative. The scripture in itself says they were in danger. That it was not just a simple small rain, that this was something giant. And you would think in some spaces that you would look to your teacher in that moment in the storm and say, get us out of here. And he would say, I guess in this space, he would say, I'm with you. You don't need to wake me in this moment. I'm with you. Let's sail through it. It's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. But just as fast as that storm came up, there's the possibility that it can go away. And I'm with you. In a grand narrative, maybe this is a sarcastic moment for Jesus of looking back and going, I am the Savior of the world. I am the called upon Messiah. I am the one who is going to die on your behalf. A storm is not going to drown me in the middle of a lake where no one sees it. Like this is like grand picture. It's kind of like a ha-ha moment for Jesus to like, if this is really, think you, this is how we all go down. Like this is kind of humorous. It's going to be way worse than this. <laughs> I'm going to go through a lot more than us just being on a lake in a capsized boat. But his disciples didn't know that. To them it was frightening. To them it was overwhelming. And to them in the moment they looked to Jesus and said, fix this, we don't know what to do. And he looked at them and said, where's your faith? Which obviously means that the answer in the space wasn't just wake Jesus up and get him to fix it. There was something else at work in this storm that he is saying sometimes your circumstances will scare you and you'll want me to take them away. But I want you to sail through. They're not fair. They don't make sense. And my guess is, in this space, if we were all to share transparently and honestly, we've all been pretty scared. Different circumstances, 
different things, but we've all been pretty scared. And Jesus says, you are where you are so that you can have the faith to get through the storm. Because there's someone on the other side of it that we need to get to. There's someone on the other side of the storm that your story might influence. And if we quit in the storm, we never get to the other side. At least that's how Luke chapter 8 is playing out. Right? So here's our story. Everyone's involved. Everyone shares open-handedly. Everyone's invited to share the light and to keep the light on. Everyone can go through a storm, and then we get to the beach, and at the beach, there's this, this man. There's this man who hasn't been able to go home in a really long time. And we go from a God in the beginning of this story who says, I travel everywhere, and I can be anywhere, to him ending this chapter with someone who just wanted to go home. And this is the place where we resurrect the things that seem to be lost. That's home. It doesn't often have to be a physical location, but home is a place where we always long to be, where the light is always on, where we're always sharing with one another, where we get through things together, and where for many of us, we don't believe we're ever allowed to go back to. This is the story in Luke chapter 8, where at the end... Jesus lands this man of the Gerasenes. Maybe you've heard the story. He's a demoniac. Supposedly he has a legion of demons living inside of him. That's wild. That's crazy. I don't know if you've ever met anyone with a demon. Or you've labeled anyone as having a demon. But it's... It's a scary space when it's real. So there's this man who hasn't been allowed to live in the city really his whole life because he's just infested with demonic activity. They've tried to chain him down. He's broken chains. He lives in tombs and caves. He's dwelling with the dead. And the cities are scared. This is around the Decapolis, so there are like 10 cities in this small region. So he could be heard from the city screaming and yelling, madness and madness. And in the story, Jesus frees him. You probably heard it. this is the one where the demons come out and they run into the pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff. And Bob Evans cries because he doesn't know how to make sausage that week. We, we missed the farmer in that. Like, he's like, oh, I just lost my entire, like, that guy's free, and I just lost all my money. All of it just jumped into the, oh, wow, so that someone could go home. And those are Jesus' words to him. If you look at Luke 8, 38 and 39, it says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. He said, I want to go with you. I want to go from town to town now. Put me in the cool kids club. I want to go be with the women who had demons cast out of them too. I want to be with Herod's manager using all of her money and maybe some of Herod's money to help move this kingdom forward. I want to be with those 12 guys that I, that guy, I can replace him because he looks like he's going to stab you in the back. Take me instead of him, Jesus. Like he must have a demon because that dude is crazy, that Judas character. 
Let me go. And Jesus' response is not to say, come and never go home. His response is, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. You look at this, the capitals, all of these cities, and a friend of mine, Beth Guckenberger, would teach this passage, and she opened my eyes to the idea that some of the deepest theological statements of the next century in these creeds were spoken from spaces around the Decapolis that had nothing to do with Jesus because the people of the towns were saying, go away, Jesus, we don't want you here. And Jesus said, I'll listen, you don't want me in your town, I'm out, but I'm going to leave him. And he's going to go home and tell a story to where later... We have creeds being written from these cities, claiming Jesus as the Christ. One man went home, and cities were transformed over time. So where does Jesus want us to live? Well, I I mean, some of us, I'm pretty sure he wants us to just follow him from town to town and go where we're called to go. Being transient might be part of life. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because that, that fits for me. That feels like me. I'll be in Price Hill this week and Monterey, Mexico the week after. Like, I like that. I like that I get to go. Some of us in this space, he just wants to tell you this morning that it's okay to go home. You're free. Go into that space that you've lost, that you need resurrected. Go into that place that you thought you would never be able to go again. Go into that sense of belonging. Go into that welcoming. Just push away that shame that there's too many demons here. There's too much against me here. I can't go back to that. I'll never have peace there. But he's saying, I'll give you the peace. I'll give you the freedom. I'll plant the seed. I'll give you the light. I'll go through the storm with you. Have enough faith. And if you want to, Be free, you can go home. Because I know you want to. I know there's some things that you want resurrected. So where does Jesus live? He lives out there, and he lives at home too. And he's inviting us to be where we need to be. So that we can share open-handedly and be light and fight through storms together. And it reminded me while I was standing on a corner in Price Hill with a kid from Hughes High School, Keontae. He had his backpack on, his polo shirt all buttoned up really nicely and his khakis. And this kid is just like ready to take on the world. And he's standing next to me and he says, why are you here? You could pick any corner in Price Hill and you choose the one with the drug dealers. I'm like, well, actually, I just showed up after they'd already chosen it. I don't know that I would have chosen this corner myself. But I hear you. I see what you see. And he, even, he then says, he's like, you know what? I could get a whole bunch of my friends together, and if you wanted to do an event in a park somewhere else other than here and tell everyone about your mission and about Jesus, I would go door to door and put flyers on and say, drug dealers aren't welcome in our neighborhood anymore, and we're going to throw a party about Jesus and tell people. And I was like, Keontae, I appreciate you. They will kill you. 
Like, if you're the one who's telling everyone you're not welcome here anymore, and you're going to be out, and we're going to call the cops on you, all that has to be done is just eliminate the one who's going to keep us from being here. And he was like, oh, yeah, good point. And he told me about his cousin, like, this <laughs> really kind of happening. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what do you think we should do? And I don't know where the moment came from, but it was just a moment where I said, Keontae, count Count the spaces on this corner. He's like, there are four. Good job. Eighth grade math. Well done. How many do block own? Three. Okay. So if block wasn't here, what would be? More drug dealers. Yeah, probably. So three out of the four spaces on this corner are safe because of block, right? Yes. Well, Keontae, what if, what if you're all passionate about this? Because you're supposed to go get that degree. You're supposed to go figure out this neighborhood. And you're going to buy the fourth one on the corner. And you're going to own it. And you're going to build into your own neighborhood. What if you're not supposed to join the guys that are on the block already? What if you're supposed to buy the block? And build businesses and houses. And Keontae looked and he was like, I can do that. I could buy this block. And then he took it a step further and he said, on a Saturday, because I don't have school on Saturdays, is it okay if I bring eight of my friends and we open up block and we look and we count the corners again and you tell us the same story? Because I think my friends would love to know that we're the people that could buy this block instead of being the guys who have to work for the dealers on it. And I was like, dude, that'll preach, man. Do it. Yes, you. Tell your friends. And he came back a couple weeks later and said, man, I've been thinking about it. Like, we really can do this, can't we? Like, Not me. You, Keontae, because this is your home. You don't have to leave it in order to change it. But you don't have to do it alone either. You just keep scattering the word and being light and working through storms. And someday, maybe a guy like Keontae buys this street. And maybe things change. I think that's the answer to why we live where we live. It's changing my perspective. Maybe it's influencing yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being on every street corner, in every suburb, in every rural space so that we can find you there. Thank you for being a God of equality. Thank you for eighth grade boys like Keontae who just remind me of your story and make me wrestle with the why. I pray for him today. I pray for light in his own house pray for the streets around Echo, that we would be light in these streets, and I pray for the neighborhoods that are represented in this room this morning, that they would know your word because of the way we share it, that they would be drawn to your light because ours never goes out, and that we would get through the storm together because of faith. And I pray that you take some of us home. 
resurrect the things that we couldn't resurrect on our own. I pray that this is your word and that you speak through this word this week. It's in your name. Amen.